We're here with Angela Sawyer of many things, uh, Midway or the Highway Open Mic Comedy Night. Um, uh, she ran the legendary record store, Weirdo Records, as well as the record label, Being Weird Isn't Enough. She's played in many bands, including Excuse Moi, Negative One, Duck That, Frankie Peggy and the Lazy Baby Makers, Human Hairs, White People, The Electrician, and Semi-Sounds. How's it going, Angela? Good. Thank you guys very much for having me. Really, really glad to be here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I appreciate you guys including me. How are you guys? Doing all right. Um, yeah, I mean, I miss uh, going out to shows and, you know, go, just going out in general, but it's it's been all right. Uh, Apparently, there are still some shows. Have you been to any shows, Angela? Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, no. I've been doing some online things here and there, but I have not. I have gone to work a couple times, and that is about it. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah pretty much all you can um, do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I haven't heard of too much, but I've heard of a couple of, like, outdoor shows that they've uh -huh. been, like, kind of like some outdoor noise stuff, but um, other than that, obviously, it's, you know, can't really do too much, but whatever, yeah. Yeah, we all, you know, stay alive so that we can do it again sometime later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was going to say, so what have you you've been doing, like, for, like, online stuff or been doing in, in the meantime? Uh, I've been doing, uh, besides a weekly comedy open mic, I run a weekly online storytelling show, uh, and that's been all right. Uh, it's, I like storytelling shows. They're uh, low-key, and it's a really nice, like, simple way to sort of, like, get inside somebody else's head, uh, and that is relatively useful during this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so it's been it's been cool uh i've heard a lot of nice stories from people and um i don't know storytelling shows are really like they're very warm and that's been something that's nice right now yeah de definitely um i wanted to go back a little bit um so I know you went to UMass Lowell, right? I did. I went to UMass Lowell and to Boston College. You guys okay. are so well-researched. No one has ever known any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, talking about that, like, a long time ago, and uh, that you went to UMass Lowell, and I think we were talking about probably, like, the 119 gallery or something like that. Oh, yeah, the 119 was a great spot. Yeah. Uh, it was... Uh, it was run by Walter Wright mostly, and that's where XFS w was for a long, long time while he ran it. And I think it was there like 10 years. And then in the last few years, it's still running, uh, but yeah. it's moved around to various spots. Um, and it's still a really, really nice festival. Mostly at this point, it's run by Dee Christ, who lives in New Hampshire. Uh, and she does a great job. Um, and uh, Stephanie, uh, who lives here in town, always provides a bunch of help, too. 
uh, it's it's turned into a really cool festival. And they had it this year. It was like one of the last things that I did right before the lockdown started. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And it's been in it's been in Worcester before, right? Yeah, it happened at the firehouse. Yeah, maybe yeah. twice. There might have been a year that I missed. It's hard to remember, but I think I got to all of them. I don't know. I'm really bad at remember. I realize. I'm 50 now, so I realize like I've just misremembered 19 things that <laughs> I never know. I'm always like, yeah, that happened, and then people are like, no, that's totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep up with stuff after a while, especially you. You do a lot of. Um, I've seen like your year-end list of everything you like did in this year or whatever, and it's a lot to keep up with so that's uh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I try yeah. these days i'm doing lots and lots of comedy shows and uh so before the pandemic i was doing like four different monthlies yeah i saw that on your website show every week say that again i saw that on your website you definitely had a prolific schedule of all sorts of different things yeah, I like to think of it, uh, some people uh, like to drink or uh, do drugs to make their lives easier, and I mm -hmm. use Google Calendar. That's what's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so you went to UMass Lowell for uh, for college. Uh, you're, you're originally from Colorado, is that right? I'm originally from Denver, yeah. Okay. It's very, right. it's very bland there. Uh, they need that weed law real bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as being into all this like weird and you know different kind of music or noise and stuff like that, um, did you get into that as like growing up, or was that something you got? No, I actually. A lot of people who like experimental music started out with like an older brother or some sure. such thing. And uh, I didn't find out about any of that stuff until I was in college. And uh, in some ways, I feel like that's cool because I can remember things that I thought that now seem like terrible ideas. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I can remember the first time I walked into uh, a record store that I ended up working at later. And I walked in and they were playing uh, Skip James. And I remember thinking like, wow, they must force them to listen to this. Yeah. And of course, later I realized like, wow, I was a fucking deaf moron, you know, <laughs> like, how, you know, like being unable to like hear what was so great about something like that. Um, so I feel like in some ways that was cool because I can sort of like remember all of the like, points of view that my head went through as I learned about stuff and it also uh helps it kept me a little more humble in terms of like you know trying to one-up people with how cool I am because I I never would have made it to begin with yeah that I actually like because yeah, I, I can relate to that definitely of like I didn't really have that influence either as like a, and I do hear a lot of people say it's like their uncle like put like even like like Fugazi or something whatever or like sure. Black Flag and it was like oh my uncle made me this mix when I was like 12 or whatever it's like I never had that kind yeah. of you know yeah. influence or whatever 
And um, I, I agree that I think there's an appreciation there. T- I guess for me, it was, it was I, can, I can relate to that. I think like over time, I, you know, had more of an appreciation. And I can remember definitely like, I remember hearing Jandek when I, and I didn't like it. When I first heard yeah. it, I was like, fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I bands that I was really into later, the first time I heard them, I was just like, ugh, you yeah. know? And uh, I feel like it does take a long time to grow an ear for unusual stuff, you know? Um, once you get there, it's, a, you know, you can kind of apply it wherever you want, but when I feel like it takes people time, you know, nobody like, there's a whole process of like learning what social cues come off of music and like learning how music like sets its own goals and meets those goals and what it means and, you know, sort of like where the people are coming from and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes there, some music, you can be a five-year-old, you could be a Martian, you can be anybody, anywhere, anytime, and like, it's gonna hit you. And some music, and it doesn't mean that the music is bad, there's some music, it just takes a long time to like, figure out what is happening. Um, and there's some experimental music, I think, that hits you really, that's really visceral like that. You know, I feel like I could play Albert Eiler for your grandma, and she could get it. And uh, I, you know, but I feel like also there's probably amazing stuff that I could play for your grandma and she'd just be like, ugh, what are you doing, you know? And (laughs) so it's just, you have to like learn how to hear things. And that, when I was in my 20s, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to like take out all the fences that I might have in my brain so that I could learn to hear as much stuff on its own terms as possible. Did you immediately oh, start awesome. to uh, perform yourself after hearing uh, I the tried, stuff, but no, nobody was having it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. I spent a lot of time in my room just like holding a tape recorder in my mouth and making really weird little tiny noises into it and then throwing away the tape slider because no one wanted them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took a long time before like and it's that's no one's fault it's sort of um nobody knows who's playing and who wants to play except from who they see playing and who seems like they want to play so like and you know if you're if you just got here last week and you go around telling everybody like i'm really cool you should play with me it just makes you sound weird (laughs) so (laughs) Uh, so it takes a while for people to kind of realize that you're out there doing things and that they might want to do, you know, it's like making friends. You have to like go put in a lot before you get any. Right. Um, mm. yeah, I also feel like, uh, and I, I feel this way more and more as, as I get older, especially with like a lot of punk stuff that I feel like it's almost like people will say, like we didn't know how to play or we didn't know this but it's almost like not real and it's like a, almost like a myth at the time that I, I don't know I just kind of keep hearing that and then I think as like me like seeing a band play and then they but they like actually play better than what they they make it sound like that it's almost like 
I've didn't I start to hear more bands that do sound really like a little bit more like amateur and I'm like, Oh, okay. This sounds way cooler. This at least sounds like I might be able to do this. Yeah. But I almost felt like I was like, that it was, there was like almost like a fake myth of, you know, that these bands were leading, making it sound like they, you know, it's like, I get it. You're not a virtuoso, but you still know how to play, but you're making it sound like you don't. And then I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. I I feel like there's, it takes a while to discover, just like it takes a while to grow an ear for stuff. It takes a yeah. while to kind of like figure out the range of all of what's there yeah. and the range of what you can do that sort of fits in there and sure. how to, and, and that plus like what you want to do and how to make all those things happen at the same time. Um, Cause there's definitely things there are things that I could do that I didn't want to make. <laughs> and there yeah. are things that I would love to make that I will never be able to do. And so you have to kind of find the things that fit all of those at once. And then you have to find other people that want to do that with you. <laughs> so it's slow. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Um, I, I guess this is kind of a general question, but um, is there, so like when you're obviously when you're listening to a lot of different stuff and especially some of the stuff that's you know pretty um pretty like odd or 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 avant-garde for lack of a better like way to put it um is there anything you like you're like looking for that specifically that this like you know is there anything this is what you're like looking for or to get out of that music you know well, I when, feel you, when like... you're listening it depends. I, I like to try to, I feel like good music tells you what it wants to do. And then you can see how well it got to the, whatever its goal was. Um, and if you listen to a lot of music very quickly, you learn like, oh, you know, country music does these things and gives you these feelings and you get to this spot in your head. And you can figure out how well something does that pretty easily. Um, I'm not saying that like, that's a, there's a whole other question of whether something is a genre and how well sure. it fits into that, whether experimental music is a genre, but almost all music kind of like tells you where it's at and, and you can figure out from that. I think, here's the thing. I think of every song, every piece of music, it's like a pair of glasses with its own, particular color to it its own shade and your job is almost like the job of a detective it's to like put on the glasses and look around and see what you see and uh just like this is sounding esoteric but like if you put a spotlight on a theater in a dark room uh if you have a purple lens on the spotlight and there's a bunch of furniture on the stage in different kinds of colors uh, the purple lens, you will see if the furniture is red, it will turn out super purple. And if the furniture is purple, maybe you'll see it really brightly, or maybe you won't see it at all. And if the furniture is green, it'll be a horrible brown color. And then if you take off that lens and you put on a different color lens, you see different furniture. And right. I feel like uh, records give you that. It's like they give you ways of accessing the world that are their own. And so most 
honestly, what I look for when I listen to any piece of music, whether it's experimental or not, is like, what do I get to access with this? What do I get to see in that metaphorical stage? And how clearly do I see it? It doesn't matter whether the lens is like a, a particular color and it's really bright or the lens is dirty or the lens is whatever. It's just like, do I get to access something that I would never get to otherwise? Do I get to access something super clearly? That kind of thing. So like, you can ask a question, you know, you can ask that question of the latest Cardi B single that just came out, or you can ask that question of a Derek Bailey record from 45 years ago or 55 years ago. Um, and, you know, you get very different things out of those, but you can say of both of those things, wow, they really got there. <laughs> you know, like, I really, yeah. I'm, I really like, I'm getting a real, you know, real picture out of it. Um, so I look for that. I like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I really like long-term is very like matchy. Match. I went to school for philosophy, which is why I have horrible metaphors when I answer questions. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I like things that are really matchy-match. I like how, uh, like when the Beach Boys catch wave, uh, the, the shape of the melody and what the lyrics are talking about and the shape of the drum roll all are the same thing. I love it when stuff's like that. You know, I think of experimental records as partly being novelty records, and I don't think that that's an insult to them. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also, you know, I like super dry things, but also super popular things. And I feel like if you like music a lot, it's, you want to try and like access the perspective of people who, the people who made what you like. And that's part of what it does for me. Like it's, it's sort of, it's how you, it's how I learned to parent myself and like navigate the world better. And uh, so it means a lot to me, but also, I'm very over the top and analytical about it. And some people are like, whatever, man, I just want to jam. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like, I, I like the analytical, but you know, uh, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, that was actually a really articulate way of describing. Uh, I, I feel that way a lot of times with a lot of music where, um, you know, it could be something that's like an, like an outsider thing or whatever. And some people that I know that aren't really into that stuff that they'll say like, you know, what, what is it? Like, what are you hearing this and, or whatever? And I, I, I kind of feel like it's like, yeah, I don't really think of it as any different than something I'd get out of like a Beach Boys song or whatever. It's just, I'm hearing this amazing song, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I'm not as concerned about, like the technique or something or I'm not that I'm not concerned about it or whatever. It's just, that's not like the defining factor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember one time uh, it was like in high school, I was listening to the, I shared someone the song hot chocolate boy by beat happening. And, you know, they're, you know, it's pretty poppy, but like, I, you know, I guess I can understand if you didn't weren't familiar with that kind of music and they're like, I don't get it. It's just like one chord. And I'm like, well, who cares? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I don't get, I like, I get, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I just, yeah. 
it's like it doesn't it, it, it didn't make a difference to me <laughs> no i feel like music is something that you do with your brain and not so much with your fingers and uh you can get at more things you know like there's some people who can do amazing technical feats and it's not that it's not cool it is it's really cool um yeah. but there's more people in the world than that <laughs> and so you can you can get all sorts of things that you would miss if you're not worried about the technical feats part yeah i i agree with that i agree i think that um that's what i like about i don't i don't not as familiar with like comedy but i now you do the open mic nights and I think that is really cool um, to just see also like people with they've never done that before or even they are uh, they new you know they maybe thought that they'd never done it before but if they're you know newer to it or, or whatever there's something I think just enjoyable about that than a lot of times seeing the you know the professional who have might not might not be really that funny anyway but like you know i mean like a big star or whatever it is but um kind of similar to you know people just going to see you know bands it absolutely play too. Like, me. the the awkwardness level is high <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but i yeah i think of i think of stand up as something you do where it's I think of it in musical terms because I know music or, you know, spend a lot longer paying attention to music than I do to comedy. But I think of it as like a thing that you do where you're starting a band with everyone in the room, whether they know it or not, when you do stand up. So it's this very like right now in the moment kind of thing. And you have to get everyone on board and in a weird, you know, without really doing very much so that we can all be on the same page at the same time. And it's, that little process, the excitement of that process is uh, uh, what the delivery of jokes is all about. And so that part of it is really cool and really similar uh, to experimental music actually. And like, there are lots of comedians who get freaked out if there's only a few people in the audience or if there's loud noises happening or whatever. And I'm always like, oh, I'm so well prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, you know yeah. That's, uh, once you've done a bunch of uh, weird gallery shows where the band members are throwing things at each <laughs> other, you know, or like been at some house show where like someone got slammed into a chair that was lying around. It's, right. uh, it's relatively easy to just be like, oh, there's only a few people, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a good point um when did you start doing stand-up uh i started when i was 42 which would have been in 2012 oh wow okay nice and then you did you've been doing the midway or, or the highway for like five years now or so something like that yeah i always a couple at some point i was like it's been four years and someone was like no Angela, you're wrong <laughs> it's only been three so i uh, i would have to look at like old emails to be sure but i think it started at the end of 2015 wow. which is about five when did weirdo records start weirdo i started it as a website in my house in uh about 2005 i actually i started it 
because of a MySpace page. <laughs> like I had a MySpace page and there was this tiny amount of HTML that you could do to like turn your page a different color or put your own frames around your pictures. And I like looked that up and made my MySpace page look really what, however I wanted it to look. And I was like, oh, I totally know how to build a website now. I should build a website. And then I started building one and I spent like a year learning that I was very wrong. <laughs> and it's much more complicated than that. Uh, but I ended up building one and then uh, I ran the store out of my house for a little while. Uh, and then I moved it into a storefront uh, at the very beginning of 2009. Uh, and then it, it closed in 2015. I gotcha, yeah. I, right. I've been reading about the the series i ne never had a chance to catch the series but you, you yeah tell, the series tell us what, was tell us what that's like the series what that was, was a like. show that happened every monday it was actually the idea i definitely planned on having shows at the store but i didn't really plan on doing it all the time and when i first opened the storefront uh my friend dave gross uh what, who's a boston musician who's great uh he he was like, you have to have a show every single week and you should call it the series. And I was like, okay, do you want to book some of it? <laughs> and and uh, he did a bunch of it. And yeah, we, there was a show every Monday. And then as it went along, there were also like other shows on other days of the week occasionally. Um, so the series had no particular uh, like theme or unification to it, except that the store was very, very small, so you had to be able to fit in it. And you had to be able to either be quiet enough that the cops wouldn't show up or be able to come in and leave fast enough that by the time the cops got there, you were gone. <laughs> That's great. Were there people ever standing outside uh, wanting to get in? Yeah, a couple times, but usually people would just smush in and occasionally it was really ridiculous how many people we got in there um i think even at the opening party like you guys were there it was yeah. you could put maybe five or six albums on the floor and then you wouldn't be able to put like flat on the floor and then you couldn't put another one down so technically it should have only held like three people <laughs> but we would fit like 40 people in there. <laughs> no so, way. Yeah, yeah, it totally yeah, happened wow. a few times. Yeah. It was really ridiculous. Not every, you know, some series yeah. shows, that's one of the nice things. It's an experimental music show. If sure. three people yeah. show up, it's still a great show. Yeah. And uh, so there were, it was fine, and it was not a ton of space, so it didn't matter, you know. Uh, but the... The shelves that were in the middle of the room were all on wheels, so I pushed them out of the way. And then there was just enough room to pe for people to kind of cram in there. And uh, we always had fun. It was usually really, really good. Sometimes I was really, uh, it was a really tiring job. So a lot of times I was just kind of like brain dead through most of the sets. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I loved having it and I loved getting to see, you know, every kind of thing that people could come up with. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I never made it out to. It was there. I miss going to the going to the store. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, no, I, I can imagine just having been inside the store that those shows must have been pretty wild. They were you know, fun. Like, like you said, <laughs> pretty, people must have been really cramped and together. Yeah, but that sounds I, like it, it was, was a not blast. comfortable. <laughs> 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 but it was all right. We made it work. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and you'd worked at some record stores before uh, Weirdo, right? Yep, I worked at uh, In Your Ear for several years, okay. and then I worked at Twisted Village for about 10 years. Nice. Um, I'd never heard of, is it, called, it was called Twisted Village? Yeah, Twisted Village yeah. was a store that, uh, it was where uh, Armageddon is now. Okay. And it was uh, also a mostly experimental music record store. Uh, and they started in probably 97 or 98. And I think they made it until about 2012, somewhere in there. Maybe a little, I might be a couple years off on either side. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, Glenn and I are like very nerdy with like digging through like old, like, documents of things and so we tend to ask people a lot of like what was like you know what was this or where was this or um well like bands were playing at this time or whatever um because it's just it, it's so easy it's very like all this cool stuff happens and, and then a lot of times if people don't like document it or if it's not documented a lot it's just I'm very sort of, guilty of that what? i never i did actually for the weirdo shows I put videos or pictures or sound of awesome. them all up on the internet. Yeah. But then when the store closed and the website went down, it all disappeared. Sure. Uh, yeah. But you guys have great, I, I noticed, like you guys have these great listings of things that happened in like 2011 or 2008 oh, or yeah. whatever. And that's really cool because I don't think anybody else has kept track of all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we're 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 trying. I hope I hope more people do it. And uh, yeah, um, uh, I yeah, because I've actually like I've never lived in the city, um, so I try to go to as many shows as possible. And then like we would just always just like keep, you know, we just put it left it on the cat. We'd make the calendar, and so we just leave it on. But just it's like oh, so past shows that we went to. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah hopefully um there are some people i've seen this i don't know if you go this guy uh eric law i think so um i don't know he's some, yeah, yeah he's yeah. from boston and uh he i have seen like he'll make like a facebook post and it's like shows i went to in like 1980 or something like That's so great. i guess he's kept track of all of them but um but yeah and like i said before the your year end list where you say all the stuff that you've done that year that's documenting it. So I, mean, I guess so. There's that. It, yeah, that's yeah. really easy because it's all like, I just print out the agenda of my Google calendar <laughs> and it keeps it for me. So, but before the internet was around, lots of people right. used to keep little diaries of the shows that they went to and they would like save their tickets in there and stuff. Yeah. And I, I definitely remember people still doing that into the late nineties where they would just to like every time they went to a show they would write down what they saw and who was on the bill and wow. uh yeah are they publishing those these days what's that do you think people are publishing those uh 
those artifacts in some way? Probably must somebody yeah. must be. Uh, I feel like that's yeah. I can remember uh, people just writing down every show they went to, every show they played, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I never did. <laughs> and uh, so I feel like I've lost more than I possibly could ever go to again. But also, I, I, I don't know. Some of the things... I like being able to access just sort of like a general vibe that I remember without remembering a lot of the specifics. Um, Sometimes when I go back, like uh, last week, somebody was passing around uh, a little mini documentary type thing that someone made from like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And I said a couple sentences in it and I hated what I said. (laughs) <laughs> and i remember thinking like oh maybe i'm lucky that i don't get to see all of that stuff again <laughs> yeah i know how you feel where that's that's kind of also i know i know that uh the problem with like i don't really do this often but occasionally i'll read something that i wrote years ago like years before and i'm just like fuck oh it's like uh, i I hate why did I say that yeah yeah (laughs) memories are rosy (laughs) yeah exactly yeah I'm like damn it uh yeah it's uh and I I think also it's easier I think for for us when we're like looking at like when other people's stuff to be like oh we need to like document this because a lot of the stuff that like I've done I don't I do have the it's like well I lived it I don't really you know, I mean, yeah. I don't really need to, like, I don't want to watch the video something. Right. You know, yes. <laughs> like, I, I don't know need exactly to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I also don't want to know, too, <laughs> you yeah. know, how, like, stupid I might look, I might look but, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, it's very hard yeah. to see yourself play, hear yourself play, or see yourself on video, that kind of stuff. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, uh, at the same time, I like, I feel like, we're probably just being like harsher on ourselves than we would be if we were like this. <laughs> we were talking about Absolutely. someone else, like you know someone else we were watching. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. No, no I, I know what you mean the um. So, again, yeah, going back to the UMass Lowell or just general Boston. So that was um that then like late. 80s like 1988 or so i got, got to boston to in 90 okay, and i 90. went to umass lowell until 92 i think and then i transferred to boston college and i got done with boston college at the end of 95 okay. and i i was trying to think what shows i went to before i i started working in your ear while i was still going to boston college and i don't know if i went to a lot of shows in the early 90s but i definitely went to some i have a really vivid memory of uh faust did a tour of the u.s in i think 1993 and they didn't come to Boston they only came as close as Connecticut and I really wanted to go because that was like a, sh- a band you would never get to see 
you know, they put out their records in the early 70s and uh, nobody knew they were still playing. And then all of a sudden they were performing in the U.S. And they were on the bill with the Dead Sea, which was also a band you would never get to see. And then I don't remember who the third person on the bill is. It was probably Thurston Moore or somebody like that at least. And uh, I remember being so pumped. And again, if it was 1993, I was 23. So I was super pumped that I was cool enough to get a ride to that show. I felt like I was really not cool enough to go, but I got in there anyway. And the people who gave me a ride were super nice. And I remember going to the show and being really like, very socially anxious and feeling like I wasn't cool enough to be there. And the people that I got a ride with started talking about meth. And I was like, I can't have this conversation. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And and so I remember feeling really left out. And uh, there was one woman, Leslie Gaffney, who like, went out of her way to make me feel included and i was like it was a huge like lesson where i was like oh this is how you treat people like you go and talk to them <laughs> you know like you can make other people feel included and right. and then faust played the show and uh there were really cool aspects it was outside in the middle of a field and they had rigged up this thing so that when a train went by behind the stage the sound of the train on the track got like processed and put through the speakers and that was super impressive but then in in the middle of the show one of the uh front men picked up a a sheep and just like carried it around and everybody thought he was going to hurt the sheep so people were super bummed out (laughs) and everybody was very worried that the sheep was going to get hurt and they were throwing red paint on a big white board behind them and saying nine nine really loud into the microphones and uh and then they just let the sheep go and the show was all done (laughs) and uh and then when i went home i remember feeling like that was really cool and it was a really uh like it was a fascinating moment i'm really glad i saw that because i'll never see anything like that again but also it was kind of a mixed awkward bag and then I realized after many years that all shows are like that. <laughs> there, there's these amazing moments. And for every one of them, there's a thousand moments where you're like, oh, what are we doing with ourselves? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what was the venue in Connecticut? Uh, it was just outside somewhere. Oh, it was, it was okay. like next to someone's barn, I guess. Uh, I also, I didn't drive then, so I have no idea how we got there. <laughs> I just was like, got to sit in somebody's back seat and be excited. It's awesome. Um, so were you, did you start to go out to more shows or start uh, performing um, around that time? It was later than that. It was very little by little. Uh, I one of the first shows that i played i it was such a bad idea it's very embarrassing to think of it now there was in the mid 90s a lot of experimental shows happened at this venue called the zeitgeist which was on uh norfolk and what is that street i don't remember the name of the street i'd have to look it up on google maps but 
it's not too far from where industry labs is now it's okay. just this little tiny place there was even a little record store in there for a while in maybe like i don't know 1998 or 2003 or somewhere in there um and it was just this kind of boarded up room there's been nothing in it since it's been boarded up dead for forever and they would have shows in there probably three four times a week and it was all they had a piano which was great for uh, a lot of uh free jazz stuff that happened so and it was very cheap it was like either free or if they hated you it was 40 bucks to rent wow. the room and so people would just kind of put it you know everybody who came would put in five bucks and then you get the room for free and uh so there were shows there all the time and i felt like i went there every day for years on end uh i remember at one point i was so jaded with going to the particular kind of shows they had at that particular place that I'll, i would bring a book <laughs> <laughs> and like read during the between the sets um but uh i play one of the first shows that i ever played was there and i i was such a moron i was very nervous about playing in front of people so i pre-recorded the entire show and brought like a cd player and a whole like stereo setup to play it and then i put uh this goofy toy that like moved to sound on stage and went and sat in the audience and thought i was being really smart and everyone hated it <laughs> uh there's a a jet a long time always known as being very grumpy um a jazz critic who was there because I was on the bill with, I don't know who, and he left. <laughs> I walked uh. in his wife immediately. And uh, I was like, oh, oh, they didn't like what I did. I was very confused. And then real later I realized like that I had hit like every single possible cliche I could have. And uh, uh, so, you know, I learned. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all, you know, Sounds pretty great to me. Learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, now that I've been doing things on stage for a long time, I realize it's crazy to think that you're going to like, when you start doing any art, that you're going to like start out great at it. That doesn't make sense. Right. Everyone starts out sucking. <laughs> and there should, it shouldn't be something that people are ashamed of. It's just how it works and uh you figure out what you're doing and what makes sense and like, like you sort of narrow down that set of what you can do and what's interesting over time and you learn problem solving techniques as well as like you know the first time all your stuff turns off because the electricity went, goes out you have no idea what to do and you're feeling real weird about it and then after it happens 20 times because you play in people's bathrooms or whatever eventually you're like yeah this is what you know <laughs> it doesn't bother you yeah yeah that reminds me of one of your well we haven't talked too many of your specific uh uh performance um monikers or such things like that but i was going to mention one of them at least most recently that really stuck out with pretty much every single person i encountered was the semi sounds Oh, that was fun. 
Yeah, that's uh, just like a, it's just like a little project with me and Sam, my roommate who runs the Dorchester Art Project, Sam Petrikas. Um, I'm, I don't remember exactly what prompted us to start doing that, but Sam, it's the good combination of things we both like. Sam likes uh, country music a lot, and uh, I like uh, things that have no form. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we made up this band where we pretend to be truckers, <laughs> and we just make a lot of noises. And it's super fun. <laughs> And uh, basically, we wear hats, and I bought us a couple really cheap microphones that have the shape of CB radios, and they sound yeah. real shitty. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and we, like, collected a few sounds of truck crashes and, and uh, semi-truck noises, and we just sort of make something up, and it's been fun to do. Yeah, that was that was an awesome show um, at Dorchester Art Project. Uh, have you guys? How often have you? Uh, have, have, there, I um, think we've only played. Yeah. Maybe three times. Okay. Yeah. I was, yeah, was going to say times. what were some of the other uh, performances? Or we played at uh, Sonorium at Andrea Pensado's. Oh right. Uh, okay. Place, which. Maybe it wasn't Sonorium. I, Andrea booked it, but it might have been at some, like, her friend's place. Because okay. my memory of the room is just that it wasn't at Sonorium. Uh, but I remember that Andrea put it together. And okay. maybe she played on the bill. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, we've only played a few times. But it's uh, it's fun to do. Yeah, I... um. I only saw the one at Dorchester Art Project, but I think I remember there was, so I think that was in the the one you were mentioning, it was in Salem, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember seeing like the event page for that, but I, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I didn't make it out to it, so I don't remember where it was, but I remember seeing that. Um, somewhere out there. Yeah, yeah. somewhere out there. Um, yeah, so some of the, I know, like, Excusez-moi and some of the other bands um, I mentioned in the introduction, what was, like, um, I guess, say, what, what was your first band besides the, the solo performance? Uh, the earliest bands that I were, was in, I was in this band uh, that was, like, I think of it now as mostly a journey cover band, <laughs> uh, but we all like, we didn't have proper instruments and it started out as uh, we used to go to this one kid's radio show. He had a radio show at Tufts and he realized that nobody was paying attention to what he put on the radio. So he turned on the microphones and had people improvise whoever wanted to show up just improvised sounds through for a couple of hours. And I would go and I didn't have any equipment. I just had my voice and like a couple little toys that weren't very loud. And a lot of other people who showed up to that, uh, those, that radio show regularly had like amp stacks and guitars. And I, I could never, I was always overwhelmed. Like I couldn't be heard. And so I realized at some point that if I sang super high, 
it would cut through because nobody was using that part of the frequency spectrum. And all of a sudden I was uh, like, I could be there. Uh, so we ended up playing this band that was just like, it was mostly shitty covers and it was a goof band, uh, but everything was like an octave and a half up. <laughs> and, uh, and it was fun for a while. And I, uh, we managed a tour, I think. I can remember making wow. merch for our tour. Um, and then pretty quickly I started my friend James uh, I started playing with my friend James and that turned into just like solo stuff uh, and there was a while where basically anything that I recorded at my house I just called it my stuff okay. uh, and that eventually became Preggy Peggy, which is James okay. picked the name for that. Um, James was in Six Finger Satellite for a long time. He doesn't like that band anymore, so or he doesn't like some parts of it, which I am. Uh, it's the same. I feel the same way about many bands that I played in many years ago. Uh, but he's a fantastic musician uh, and always was somebody who like really encouraged me and sort of like listened to the weird way that I talk about music and understood what I meant and stuff like that. And he was really great. Uh, I also, I remember really specifically working at Twisted Village and wanting to play and stuff. And, but most of the people I knew didn't think of me as a musician. They thought of me as an audience member, which is fine. And then the first time there was this guy named John Voigt, who's a long time Boston uh, underground music improviser. He had been in records in the 60s and the 70s and he taught music and was just kind of still around doing weird projects. And one day he came to Twisted Village and he was like, hey, I'm about to go improvise on the radio. Why don't you come with me? And I was like, oh, sure, I'd love to see you play. I, so I just like, we stopped what we were doing and I went. And then when we got there, he was like, what are you gonna play while you're here? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, did you bring anything? What are you gonna play? And I was like, I don't have anything. He's like, you must have something. And so I ended up playing like a roll of packing tape because that's what I had on me that day. And, uh, and then after we got done, he was like, see, you're an improviser too. You can do this whenever you want. You can play packing tape. And uh, I will never forget how big it was, how important it was for me to have somebody who encouraged me that much, who was just like, who was like, shoved me onto the, you know, in onto the player side of things and was like, no, 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 no. You don't, you're not supposed to know what you're doing. You don't have to have anything with you. Just go. And it meant a lot. Uh, and so little by little after that, I just started playing whenever I could. Um, and I, I probably, could have been even more proactive about it now that I realize some of that stuff. But uh, I would just say yes whenever anyone asked, no matter what they asked. And eventually people were like, oh yeah, she's around, she does things. And then little by little, that sort of made me somebody who was around and did things. It's awesome. Um, what was the name of the, the journey the weird journey it's, cover it's band. It's a band that still exists. It's the Life Partners. 
Oh, okay. Oh, shit. I didn't know you were in that band. A that's, really that's awesome. long time ago. They probably forgot I existed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet. Uh, uh, what, what year is that? Uh, that is probably around 2000. Okay. Maybe yeah. a little before, maybe a little after, somewhere in there. Yeah. No, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um. Yeah, no, I know they. That's a, I think that's around when they started. But then I keep. It's weird. I keep seeing like stuff, and I'm like, oh wait, no, they were around this year, this year, and then, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the years. It's very yeah. disconcerting to remember the years things happened versus how old I feel like I was when I did something. <laughs> Is this the same band that both of you are talking about? Uh, the Life Partners was the weird, like, mostly covers, just a couple octaves up band, uh, which has, it's probably a very different band at this point. I haven't heard them in a long, long time. Um, but then playing by myself, like playing as an improviser is something yes. that John Voigt sort of like specifically encouraged me to do. And Dave Gross, the guy who I was talking about earlier, who um, who wanted me to start the series, is somebody who very much like went out of his way to be like hey i'm doing this project and you should do this you know yeah. just sort of like push me to kind of be in there and it made a huge difference um i realized a lot of a lot of making things happen in an underground music context is like just being super active about including people and being like, no, 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 no. There's no special degree that you get. There's no like, all you need is permission, really. None of these other people know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it because they have, you know, because they frown <laughs> when they're playing. <laughs> <laughs> and all you right. really, and like, we all kind of know that. It, like, if you've listened to punk rock records ever, then you know that, but it doesn't really become true for you personally until somebody is like no 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 hey right now do this and then you're like oh yeah i can do that and it's so that stuff's important yeah definitely no, that's awesome um yeah i think there needs to be more of that because I, I at least for myself i feel like whatever it is I, I i can get pretty intimidated easily i don't really feel as much ever like encouraged as much by people but but then like the times that have happened like like you were describing it is really important and yeah i think yeah you know what i mean i think it like, makes a huge yeah. difference yeah it's funny the way it does yeah but i and it, i feel like you guys definitely do that like i can remember sam and i have played on on festivals where i was like none of the like i don't know the people on this you know where you like made sure to come around and get us you know yeah. So and that kind of that's the same thing, you know, just like making every making sure everybody gets in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. We I I definitely uh we did we both Glenn and I we definitely like that like sort of um feeling of uh, like you were describing of in inclusion and inclusion and making people feel included um as much as possible because I feel like yeah, I remember like when people were that way to me and a lot of times 
really not as much. I feel like, and it's not, I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, sometimes people are, 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 are mean, but a lot of times, sometimes feels like people are just kind of like shy or awkward. How we all feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess trying to like get through that a little bit, I try to like, kind of like what you're saying, get through that a little bit more and just, you know, I don't know, just yeah. be more and more. Nobody, I don't know. nobody who's a huge experimental music nerd was like on the cheerleading team. That's just not. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I was for a few years, but yeah. <laughs> um yeah no exactly um i wanted to ask you about excuse me what um i love how like i I love how like immediate and how like short some of the songs are and then just gets (laughs) into the next one i'm a big fan of that in in general but I, i love that um i actually never got a chance to, to catch uh to catch y'all play and uh, i was wondering like when i've seen videos though and everything um i was just watching the one from it was in like a gray matter i think oh yeah gray skull or something like yeah, yeah. it's a bookstore um, in uh, okay. western mass yeah um when did excuse moi start playing that's a good question. <laughs> I am going to guess that it was 2007. I'm okay, not sure if that's cool. right, but it's probably in there. And yeah. it started as um, Doug and Nell uh, lived in a house together. And they, it, <clears throat> excuse me, they had been playing with this guy, Neil, in their basement. For I think for months, and they invited me to, like almost artificially, to come and play with them and be the singer, and uh, which I was pretty pumped for. And then we practiced without having any shows or doing any recording for months still, which is very different from what I usually do. Uh, and that one of the things that was really cool about that project is that, excuse me, <clears throat> is that uh, Doug DeMay and I see music really differently. He thinks about music, uh, I think of it as really horizontally. Like to him, music is like a rope with knots in it that just keep, you keep pulling. And all the, what's interesting about it is how far away the knots are from each other. So he thinks about it really rhythmically. And uh, a lot of the reason why the songs are short or they feel like they're tumbling is because of the way he like puts parts together so that you can't ever keep track of it. And I think of it very differently. I think of music as like, stacks of chords that can happen wherever and it's more about like what's going on between the parts of the stack and he like for instance he's very good at timing and has a very good ear for whether something is off timing wise and I'm really bad at it but I have a good sense of pitch and so 
we like we almost don't meet <laughs> in what we can hear and yet when we try if we agreed on something it usually was pretty cool because if we both found something in there there was a lot to find uh so we you know we were just trying to like write these songs and uh a lot of times i'd write the lyrics and we'd try and like cram together these things that didn't quite fit and that's mostly why the songs were so short <laughs> uh and it was super fun we made new we tried to have new costumes for every show and they were always different uh we had i think we only went on tour once but it was really memorable and i still have injuries from it wow <laughs> and yeah. it was a really fun band to be in doug is amazing he's a great great guy and eventually it just sort of slowly lost volition of its own over time partly because neil moved away and we uh we had different people playing for a while and who were great and uh partly just like it was a band that practiced three or four times a week which is a crazy amount of practice to my mind but to doug it was like not enough <laughs> yeah yeah and, and which i understand i don't i'm not trying to fault him for that i see yeah. why he thinks that um but it just sort of like all those forces together eventually made it peter out of existence uh but i love doug and nell and uh and neil and everybody was in that band it was fun great and um it was really really fun uh and really we worked so we like overworked everything that we did for it and that was kind of great to do one <laughs> yeah i it looks very very fun just watching some of the videos and i saw a video um actually no and the the one i saw i was watching earlier today was from the show in hadley but i think i saw somewhere else that you had played in in ohio um, yeah we went on a little tour i think that's as yeah. far as we went it was uh we had a couple i remember we were really pumped about playing in buffalo because that's where uh neil had the uh the bass player had lived there for a while and i remember we played a couple really odd venues and like I, I I'm probably wrong, but in my memory, like we played at this weird venue and then it turned out to be like an arcade and the guy who booked the show was like thought we would be like insane clown posse. You know, it was just like, <laughs> one of those weird when you roll wow. up to a town and you realize like there's no meeting point between expectations. Uh but yeah. it was super fun. Um yeah, I have a lot of good memories of that tour. Really fun time to go out with those guys. It's awesome. Uh, and Doug was in Fat Day, right? Yeah, Doug was in yeah. Fat Day, and he's recorded a lot of local bands. He yeah. has. He built a studio in his basement where like he built it so that the foundations of the studio don't touch the foundations of his house so that like the sound stays in there 
uh, and he owns a ridiculous number of, he's really into uh, mono synths, so he's really into like early synthesizers that can only make one sound at once. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I don't no one is into that. <laughs> um, he's amazing and uh, he just has great ideas. I really, really love making stuff with Doug. Well, cool. did you see, uh, did you see them? Uh, because they were they play, they were in the they're playing in the 90s, right? Yeah, Fate used to play around. I remember when I was working in your ear. I don't know what year this would have been, uh, in the mid to late 90s. I was working there and uh, some kid who I don't think I even knew ran into the store and was like, oh my God, you gotta like close up the shop and come with me right now. It's really, and I was like, oh, a bomb must be going. You know, I thought there was some national emergency. And I, I just, chased, you know, locked up and chased him because I literally thought that, you know, my life was in danger. And he kept running for too long, <laughs> but I, I didn't have any, I couldn't do anything else. So I kept following him and he led me to a classroom in Harvard and there were like a hundred people crammed into a classroom and that day started playing as I walked in. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then like three quarters of the way into the show, a really long way into the show, they had this huge speaker on one side of the stage like a gigantic amplifier but just the speaker part and uh and a guy popped out of it <laughs> it turned out he had been in it the whole time wow. like one of the members of the band just like decided to hide in a box <laughs> uh awesome. they did they wrote like an entire opera with a libretto that they would like pass out to the crowd and get them to like do parts of with them and they had these uh blow up animals that they would like pass around into the crowd they did really really involved stuff and were fantastic uh one of their albums they asked on one of the liner notes to one of their albums one of their cities um they asked people to submit songs for another album. You were supposed to like write a song for them and mail it to them and then they would perform it on the, and then the next album would be all audience written songs. So I wrote one oh. and uh, I don't know if that's how, I met, I guess, I think I met them through uh, one of the other members of Fat Day worked at a record store called Pipeline in the 90s. And I think that's how I knew them. Um, but I wrote one of the songs for them. And of course, like I said, I really liked these stacks of chords. So my song was just like these weird uh, stacks of letters that were notes. <laughs> and, and it was just like columns of letters. <laughs> and they somehow turned that into music. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. This, uh, you mentioned that show in the classroom that's like the third time i think we've heard that in our like podcast i'm like damn i've never i've never seen any of these classroom shows yeah i don't <laughs> you know, think like that was that, i don't know if that i don't know if they still happen or whatever i mean i feel like 
because Boston has lots of schools in it, yeah. there are lots of just like unused, a lot of the unused spaces are spaces that belong to schools. Uh, sure. So if you're looking to put on a guerrilla show without a people's permission, just like until you get shut down kind of show, uh, a school is really useful. <laughs> like all you need all is right. the keys to get in. <laughs> That's and true. sometimes they don't like the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. It's uh, awesome. We get to start doing so, that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I know. With like, just try doors. Going on and, yeah. 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 There, different schools have now, different but, yeah. policies about that kind of thing. But a lot of it, too, is like yeah. if you're attending the school, you kind of know right. where people are and aren't. And so at, it was, it was, I think it was easy for kids who were going there to be like, oh, nobody ever uses that building. We'll just have it over there, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I know, just thinking of like, uh, with like all these places closing down, it's like, well, you gotta do more, where's, just do more yeah, underground shit. Yeah, where's everything shows. gonna be? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, I've always wished that to... there would be a show in the tunnels under MIT, but they're oh, really yeah. bad sounding. <laughs> oh, they have this terrible, <laughs> terrible short echo. Ah, <laughs> uh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I love just thinking of different, I don't know, there's so many different places, so many things, so many different uh, possibilities. Um, I was going to ask you uh, about negative one uh, just a few years ago. Um, I, I, I mean, I knew, uh, knew you guys, but I hadn't, I remember at the time I hadn't seen the band and, you know, um, Chris and Michael, the, the older couple that come out to oh, a lot sure. of Chris Gilbert and Michael, uh, yeah. I forget how to pronounce his last name, but, but yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I didn't want. I I wasn't sure how to pronounce it, so I didn't want to butcher it. But yes, uh, I remember talking to them. They were like, "Oh," and they had mentioned negative one. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I still haven't seen them." That and Michael was like, "I'm shocked," you know, just like he's like, "You gotta go see," it. and like he's like, "You'd really dig this," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure." Uh, I mean, it's say like uh, def one of my favorite bands. In the last few years, and uh, I, I love that the the record. Oh, thank out. you. Oh. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, uh, ab absolutely. That's a band. Like every project I've ever been in, like uh, it was a great idea and a great time and a terrible idea also. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a tattoo from it that I got the not all the members of the band got and we uh, broke up right afterwards. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, really fun. It was really fun to do. Uh, Shawnee was fantastic. Uh, Nick Newberg was the drummer. Yep. Sam was in it. And basically it started because uh, we had all lived with one dude and we were all bad at him. <laughs> <laughs> and so we wrote all of our songs about the guy. <laughs> okay. Just like what we didn't like about this one guy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, uh, I could tell they were very directed, but I didn't know. I don't know who the person is. Whatever. Or maybe it's, I do, but I don't, I, oh, it doesn't matter. I think the band I didn't like kind that, of ended yeah. because we all kind of were like, oh, we're, we could grow beyond this. <laughs> but uh, I feel gotcha. really lucky to have been in that band because Shawnee is a fantastic singer. He has an incredible voice. And it was really cool that he was like, oh, we need someone to do the voice parts for this. Uh, because I feel like he's so good at it. He could have done it, like he could have played the entire band by himself. Um, that was really fun. It was fun to kind of like, I, I mean, I don't know when that was. That was uh, four or five years ago. Uh, right. So I was like 45 when we started that band. And to be somebody who's 45 and to start like a really angry hardcore band felt really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it, it's very um, like extreme in a way. Like, uh, I don't mean the band, but no, the, no, no. like the, uh, it, you know, it is like this uh, very extreme hardcore band that, at least for me, I just, and whenever I showed people, and it just, it's just so intense. Yeah, um, but we very fun mad. too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but, yeah exactly, that and that mad. definitely it's, comes through. Yeah, it's super fun to be that mad. It's so much fun. <laughs> and he hopes for yeah, a reunion. Definitely, but it's really, really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just the vocals too are uh, like, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I had it at the right speed at first on the on the record when I yeah, played uh, the record and I'm like okay no now I do have it at the right speed and it's just like I so, hadn't heard it in a while I and I I played it for some comedy people recently just like a snippet of it because yeah. they were like what you were in a band and I was like oh let me play you some weird <laughs> thing I did <laughs> yeah. and uh uh, I realized, like, even more than I thought, like, I don't know how anybody even realizes that that's a voice. It just sounds like, <laughs> it, it, you know, it sounds like a bird call or something. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, it's like this, yeah, it it's was very, really that high, like, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of great shows, too, that I remember seeing. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I saw you playing the electrician. Uh, I think that was just that was the Grilltosh show. Oh yeah, Grilltosh. it was basically uh, just like a a one-off project with I, I. We played probably more than one show, but it was me and Sam and Chris Strunk. Um, oh okay. And uh, I yeah, I think we we played two or three shows maybe a couple more than that um and we were getting somewhere it was just sort of a weird improvised rock project mm. uh i think the way that i thought about it which i was not very hard uh but the way that i thought about it was that it was like a it was like a bad vibes rock project but we made it up on the spot <laughs> <laughs> uh so we've all liked it i think we we came to that decision because of what instruments we happen to have around uh chris plays drums and sam plays bass and he had also recently 
worked up a contact mic on like a Pilates ball that he wanted to play, which just makes a big like poof sound. And uh, and what I had that was easy to carry was like a keyboard. So we we're like, okay, what can we make out of this? And so we ended up, that's why it's called The Electrician. It's named after a Scott Walker song where we were like, oh, we can just have bad vibes. <laughs> nice. Um, do, so, do a lot of the projects or collaborations that you do with other people, do they formally end or it just sort of, you know, I'm going to move on to something yeah, else? Yeah, they never just, formally end. Yeah. <laughs> It's very rare. I think we'd have to have a fight to have a formal ending, which is rare. Right. Uh, no, they just sort of, I mean, I like, I think you, you start projects and you just sort of like let them roll till they fall apart. And some of them last barely that one day and some of them last many projects. And uh, I like, pro I like titling things. So I don't mind making up a new one every time uh, there's a reason of any kind. Cool. Um, and they, uh, some of them only last like the one afternoon and some of them last like a few shows worth and some of them last a few years worth. Uh, but you don't find, like I never would have been in, in Excuse Moi if I didn't just say sure anytime anybody asked me to play anything, even if I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. Uh, so I think it's worth, uh, also I'm very lazy. <laughs> so I think it's worth just like trying it out whenever somebody even remotely wants to play and seeing what you can get. Uh, and I feel like I've been lucky in that regard because there's a lot of interesting performers around Boston who have been kind enough to ask me to play with them. And uh, I feel like I, like I get to live off that. You know, I get to be lazy about that. If I lived uh, somewhere else, it would be a very different prospect. Um, but there's so many experimental musicians in Boston who want to do so many different things that it's been really cool. I was just, somebody's, uh, while we were in our break, uh, a friend of mine, tweeted about some project he was in in high school and how they got uh, censored and they made up something, you know, he was just tweeting. And I remembered I was in a project with my friend Mark uh, called Babies of Brazzers <laughs> that, <laughs> that lasted just like, the fact it, we maybe played four or five shows ever and I didn't find out what our name was about until we played like two or three shows already. And I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so uh, I feel like it's kind of cool to just kind of roll in and try it out. And that's how you find things that, you know, you would found otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Did, was there any uh the bands like, excuse moi, that lasted longer that, you didn't expect necessarily to for it to last as as long as um as it did uh honestly i always i try not to have expectations about yeah. what will happen um right. because one it's a surprise no matter what and that's <laughs> nice but also uh you never kind of like people start getting ideas uh, when you're getting together to play 
And sometimes those ideas end up being way more fruitful. And, you know, sometimes they are just an afternoon's worth. And that's just kind of, but it's cool to try them out. Like a lot of times I wouldn't have had that idea by myself or never would have gotten there otherwise. So like, it's, that's just sort of like, that's just another place where you can experiment and you get to find all new things. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, we ask everyone this, uh, it's kind of a little question, but when do you think that shows will come back to like people actually going like indoors and not just like a distance thing? Like when do you think shows will return? I mean, sooner than they should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's already yeah. beginning. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, I've definitely noticed there are people already starting to do indoor comedy events. So like it's coming along right. and I'm sure, I, I think there are bands that are practicing already. And like, mm -hmm. there's a bar down the street for me where they're having people come and play like just to a video camera and stuff. So it'll probably just be kind of a slow slog that's messy and we'll figure it out eventually and then at some point we'll be like oh I guess we're back now um I'm excited for I'm definitely so tired of staying in my house I'm super excited for tapping uh but I'm I I can appreciate that um we don't want to all kill each other so it's yeah. <laughs> take it yeah slow. <laughs> yeah definitely um, um, I don't know exactly when. It's really hard to say. Yeah. Uh, it would be great if it was before the end of the year, but I don't know that that doesn't make a lot of sense. With it doesn't fit up with the metrics that I keep seeing. Right. So, I don't know. Um, maybe it's I, I've heard people predict that eventually people will just stop caring and it'll be back that way <laughs> it will happen <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe the metrics will finally kind of slow down enough that it will be uh, easier to figure out maybe it'll kind of like I can remember when we first went into lockdown there were people who'd be like oh this will change everything for years and maybe five years from now there will be kids who start coming to shows who'll be like how come everyone in Boston, you know, punk shows wears these weird things? Like, I remember for a long time, everyone wore giant headphones. That was really cool. Circa, like, 2002. Oh, wow. Uh, to wear, like, industrial construction ear protection. And, uh, and, like, and, you know, I remember thinking, like, why does everyone do that? And then I was like, oh, it makes sense that everybody's really loud. You want your protection. But, like, sure. people are still loud. And they always yeah, stop yeah. doing that. Right. <laughs> um, so, who knows? Uh, maybe it'll just yeah. be a thing where uh, somebody comes around. And they're like, how come all the people who are 30 wear these weird things on their faces? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fine. <laughs> um, 
uh, one of the I've been I'm so old at this point that like I've been the person who's too old at shows for longer than I've like most people ever go to shows in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, at some point I realized like you just have to be okay with being whoever you are at them because you're never going to fit right. Like nobody fits right at weird underground shows anyway. Um, But I definitely have, uh, I accidentally went to see, I went to a, like a, I went to see uh, the Boston Stranglers at, where was it? At the Democracy Center. Uh, I went to see a, a show at the Democracy Center one day and I happened to have gone somewhere earlier and I was wearing like a bright pink button down and I and it was just happened to be a show where everybody was really into the uniform of being a punk rocker yeah yeah, I understand like when I was uh going to school in Lowell and I was 20 I was like oh my god like I got you know I wanted the boots and I shaved my head weird and the whole nine yards and uh it helped me feel like I belong somewhere, you know, to be, to have a badge that I could be like, you're not in this. I'm in this. This is my thing. And, uh, but I remember going to that and having people freak out, like, just like walking by and hearing people be like, who's the mom? (laughs) And and being like, yeah, I guess it goes both ways. (laughs) And, and that, experience was already like 20 years ago (laughs) so uh at this point like i'm probably i don't think i'm quite as old as mike bassrash but i'm I'm getting there (laughs) and Uh, when i go to a show and people are happy to see me there i'm just glad to be invited (laughs) (laughs) yeah they well this thing mike and and chris they're um you know, they're, they're, they're like an inspiration for all of us. You know, they, they they're, are. Still, they're still rocking, you know what I mean? They're still going out to shows. And yeah, you know everything. you're in the right so, yeah. place if Mike's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit more about the comedy stuff just because I'm not as familiar with, like, the, the comedy world. Um, uh, so is there like the way that obviously we have with like bands and everything is there like a fair amount of underground like comedians or is it all through um kind of you know it's yeah there are differences like um sure comedy doesn't really have genres Mm. the way that music does it almost does like there are comedians who, there comedians talk about alt rooms and club rooms and road comics and those are almost like genres, but uh, comedy is in some ways it's a more traditional art. In some ways it's a less traditional art because it's always in the room. It's always in the moment. Um, right. But that very in the moment part of it is limiting in other ways so people who are good at stand-up 
uh, pride themselves on being able to do any kind of room uh, and pride themselves on being able to connect with an audience, no matter who's in the audience, uh, which is very different from that perspective of experimental music where you're connecting with uh, an idea that you have that you know other people who are interested in that idea, but they might not be in the room at all. And you could have a very successful show where everyone who saw it hated it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but comedy doesn't work that way. If the audience hates you, you didn't do a good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it has different limitations. And uh, in some ways it's very open. Like you can do anything on a stage and people can count it as stand-up doesn't matter what you do or say or don't say and in that way it's a lot like experimental music um if you're doing it in front of people and they're laughing then you did stand up uh right and that's super cool but it's also very uh the idea is very specific getting people to laugh is way more specific than getting them to just be creeped out or have a vibe or whatever it is. Right. And I, t I definitely tend to think of experimental underground music as, um, and especially jazz influenced experimental underground music is just like make you feel creepy music. <laughs> and that's the whole idea. <laughs> if, you're, if you're vaguely uncomfortable, then you did it right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, because of the, the way that comedy is different, there's definitely a local scene and, uh, people and there are local house venues and things like that. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask um, that. Yeah. I, yeah. There's like okay. house venues and sort of local people who have things in little bars and stuff like that. Right. And bars right. aren't as, uh, like if you play really extreme underground music, uh, a bar might be like a large venue that doesn't care about you. Whereas sure. comedy, a bar is going to be a small venue that it's fine that they don't care about you because you're just looking for somebody to not pay attention to. Um, it, so there are little differences like that. It, sure. But it's still uh, a community of like... I think of both of those things as islands for misfit toys. They're just slightly different islands. Uh, so the landscape on one is a little different than the landscape on the, on the other. But it, I was very, I was quite old before I realized there was a second one. <laughs> and so it's been cool to be like, oh, there's more than one. I can do more than one thing. Um, is it one of those And I, I like a lot of the people. Oh, no, sorry. Again. Keep going. No, sorry. No, no, no. Finish. Sorry. Finish your thought. <laughs> oh no, I, I don't even know if I had one still. I was just kind of, I like a lot of the people who are involved in comedy and uh, I like that, I like the populist vibe of it. I don't know how to explain what I want. Uh, I like that it's for anyone. Uh, the, that has disadvantages. <laughs> like there are, like what, for one thing, I think there's, uh, comedy is more diverse than experimental music by a mile, even though comedians 
think that it's not very diverse, and they are correct. <laughs> it is still way more diverse than experimental music, uh, and that's nice. Uh, there's a lot of, no art is a meritocracy, but there's a sense of equity that I think is important, uh, and I like those things about comedy, but also comedy is, especially at the open mic level, full of the shittiest people you can imagine. And it's not that everybody I've ever met in experimental music is a saint or anything like that. Um, but you, it's, comedy is really for anybody. And so there's no like filter on who likes it. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting to connect to people who you have nothing else in common with like that. That can be really cool. And it can also be terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I was wondering Absolutely. if, if is it one of those things where do you ever notice someone giving it a try for the first time that might not even, you know, they kind of realize, hey, you know, their the way their delivery is or the, what they're talking about, it's kind of a novel thing, and they might not have, have even realized it at the time. But is is there that sense of, you know, people like encouraging of people that might not even be understood at first? I'm thinking of like folks yes. that are really like, you know, I don't even know. It could just be, I'm trying to compare it to, you know, amateur music or just experimental kind of stuff yeah. where people are, That definitely you know, exists. There is oh, that's awesome. something that is analogous to outsider music in comedy. It's like, like I was saying, like, it's not exactly the same, but there are definitely people who are funny and they don't have to know why. Yeah, wow. And, they, and maybe they have control over it, and maybe they don't, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, and that's cool to see. Damn. I and know. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those, one of the things that is weird about comedy is that you don't get to choose what kind of comedian you are like people try to but you it doesn't work <laughs> uh the kind of comedian that you are it has a lot to do with how you present to people and what you're like when you talk and people have less control over that than uh if you're playing in a genre like i could decide should i choose to tomorrow that I am super into bluegrass and that's what I play now and I could just start playing bluegrass uh, and or I could decide that I want to play a bluegrass song once and then put it on a thing that was also had free jazz on it and it would make no difference um, but with comedy I can't just like I love Andy Kaufman but I can't be him <laughs> and I I like silly comedians and silly humor but I can't do it uh, and I can try it, but it, it won't come out. It comes out weird. Um, and it's, there are just things that you, you can get better at things that you're bad at, just like you can with anything else. But the things that come naturally to me are just going to be those things. Um, and that's a weird, that's just a weird feature of comedy that is different from music where, uh, just because you're the way that you're interested in ideas and what you do about them has different implications, I guess is what I want to say. Nice. No, that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. 
Um, I just wanted to ask, going back, you mentioned like that they do have house shows for for comedy. Like, where would you find out about those? Um, it's kind of similar to the way you find out about music house shows, in sure. that just like if you're around those people a bunch, you right. hear about them. Um, which sounds like a not answer, but no, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah. For a while, so you guys probably remember there's a or maybe have heard there's a house venue in Alston for a while, and one of its names was the Puppy Palace. It's in Lower Alston. Okay. It was let me think, a street over from Franklin Street. Okay. And there were also there were always tons of shows at 54 and 52 Franklin. And then one street over, there was a house that had a bunch of shows for a while. And that house turned into a comedy venue, an all-comedy venue, for like five years. Uh, And all the people who lived in the house were comedians. And they literally had a club in the basement with like a green room and lights and chairs and stuff. And uh, so there's things like that definitely crop up. Sure. and there's people who put on shows who like only put on house shows um people who put on shows who only put on bar shows and then there's people who book sort of like traditional you know part of a hotel clubs or whatever uh and there's people who make a living out of comedy by just driving around the country the way people will just go on tour forever there's definitely people who basically live out of their cars and just go around the country doing comedy and stuff like that. Uh, I think one of the, basically the easy way to find out about where stuff is for comedy is just to go to any open mic, which are, those are always listed on the internet or listed in the paper or whatever. There's a bunch of Facebook groups for it, but any open mic like that, or even online, you find any comedian and you ask them, and they'll tell you in detail <laughs> um, because much like music, people just want yeah. people at that stuff. Right. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Just in a lot of the, the word of mouth. And then, um, yeah, I guess I was wondering if there was anything similar to like the compass that would have that as like a, you know, Net, like navigating occasionally comedy stuff gets listed in the compass i try and list it when i can okay yeah and uh but it's haphazard certainly and right. uh a lot of it there's a uh, a couple of very active facebook groups for boston where people will put uh whatever mics are happening and uh usually that's wherever where if people are having little like internet fights with each other. That's where they all are, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, so, so this is like a, a final uh, thing. Is you have any, um, any like shout outs or anything that you, anything you want to name or, or plug or anything else? Let's like see. Right now, what I'm doing is, uh, at least during the pandemic for now, I'm running an open mic on Sundays, which is called Midway of the Highway. And I'm running a storytelling show on Wednesdays, which is called Tales from the Inside. 
and those are both online basically they're pretty easy to find um and uh mostly i want to just say thank you to you guys for paying attention to this stuff and uh yeah. asking me questions for hours on it and i appreciate it and absolutely thanks for uh, you know thanks for talking with us yeah yeah and uh i appreciate it that like I mean, I really like playing uh, music and I like both playing really extreme abstract music, but also just like songs. And so I appreciate that there are still people out there who uh, remember that I like to do that and want to play here and there. <laughs> yeah, abso absolutely. We'll keep it up. Uh, say again, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Th thanks so much again for giving yeah, us. Yeah, thank you guys really very, very much. It. Thank you. Take care. Have a good yeah. night. Well, have a good night. Yeah, I'm gonna go have a pizza. Cool. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, you too. See ya. Absolutely. Thanks, Angela. Have a great night.